You probably already know this because you're very smart people. I always like to remind you of that. You probably already know this, but we are and we have been living through an era of massive cultural shift. It's been absolutely massive, okay? I just turned 30 back in August. Thank you. I'm literally getting applause. All I did was get a year older, but I love you. Thank you. That's so great. And actually, you can pray for me on that because I'm still like figuring out how I feel about that. But anyway, that's all right. There you go. All right. My point is, I had a point in saying that. I haven't been around like that long, all things considered, but I can say without any hesitation that the sort of mainstream, societal, cultural, normal way things are is a lot different now than it was even when I was a kid. And I bet that you would say the same thing however long you've been around yourself. Probably 30-some years, right, for each of you? Just kidding. (laughs) Anyway, so I'll give you a couple examples. When I was a kid, I grew up in the 90s, and what you saw in the 90s was sort of the tail end of what you might call a Christian culture. And what I mean by that is not that everyone in the 90s and before was a Christian, but generally speaking, like our culture was one that had leanings sort of in a somewhat Christian direction. If you had to kind of default one way, there were some values, some ways of thinking, some just normal things in the culture that sort of had a Christian bent to them. So for example, when I was a kid, um, I remember when there was no Sunday shopping. I remember when that legislation was first coming in and it was like somewhat controversial even whether or not we should be allowed to shop on Sundays because that's the day of rest. That's the day you're supposed to go to church. We don't need to shop on Sunday. Is there Sunday shopping now? I bet some of you are even going to Costco after the service up in here, just saying. So that's one. I remember as a kid, uh, a couple of times Halloween fell on a Sunday. And I remember when Halloween fell on a Sunday, they would move it to Saturday. Not just like for me, but like at least the whole town or whatever, move to Saturday because Sunday is the Lord's day and you can't have trick-or-treating on the Lord's day, right? So we'd move it. I remember when I was in uh, the middle of elementary school, I went to public school and every morning for a couple of years, we said the Lord's prayer every day in school. I remember in grade five, our whole class, uh, the Gideons came in and gave the whole class Bibles. Those are just a few little even examples, Um, but you don't really see stuff like that anymore. And that's because this Christian sort of culture that we once had, that is not a thing anymore. We actually are considered in Canada, in this region, a a post-Christian culture. Somebody say post-Christian. It's as though we've kind of moved on in our minds from Christianity. That's kind of the view of the culture. Um, and that's really accelerated in the, even the last 10 years, if you've been paying attention, just the, the, the acceleration and the rapid speed of how the culture has changed. It's, it's been massive. And I know we've all seen that and felt that in different ways. And I don't mean to say, by the way, that things were so good back then and they're bad now. Maybe things were bad back then too. The point is it's different. Things are different now. And the thing about the culture is this. Culture is like a tide, right? And as good port city maritime residents, we all know about the tide, right? The tide comes and goes, it goes out, it comes in, it ebbs, it flows, it does its thing. Uh, The tide is powerful, right? There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of force that goes into that as it moves. Uh, The tide 
kind of goes just outside of our control. No matter what you try to do, like maybe you tried to build a sandcastle at low tide one time and really wanted to protect it. Well, I got news for you. It's beyond your control. The tide's going to come in and wash that away. It just happens. And it's really easy for things to get swept away or caught up in the tide. You've probably seen that. Something gets washed up on the beach and then later on it gets swept away. That's how the tide works. And the culture is like that. The culture comes and goes and it ebbs and flows and it moves and it changes. The culture is powerful. There's a lot of influence and and kind of movement with the culture. The culture sort of changes beyond our control as individual people. And it's really easy, listen now, to get swept up and caught up in what the culture is doing. Because the culture kind of represents the mainstream, here's, here's what everybody else is doing, here's what everybody else thinks, here's what everyone else watches, listens to, what kind of clothes they wear, what kind of things they believe, the things they say. Well, well, well I, I don't want to be that one fish that's swimming upstream, right, when everyone else is going this way. Like, I don't want to be some weirdo, right? So I'll just do what everybody else is doing. Really easy to fall into that trap. And in the midst of all this culture conversation, though, I want to remind you of something that we have talked about a whole bunch this year, a whole bunch of times this has come up, and it's this, God has a life for you. I want you to turn to your neighbor now and tell them, God has a life for you. Tell them that now. No, not get a life. Don't tell them that. (laughs) Couldn't resist. Yes, we've talked about this all year. God has a life for you. And that life is marked and characterized by walking in relationship with him and worshiping him. That everything that happens in this life happens out of that context. It happens in relationship with him. And Jesus even said in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And what he didn't mean by that is a life that nothing bad will ever happen to you. How many of you are Christians and know that bad things still happen to us, right? Of course. But even in spite of the bad things, this life that Jesus has for us is a full life. It's a life of gusto and significance and meaning and mission and importance. He has a life for you. And what you find pretty quickly is when you set your mind and make it your business to pursue this life that God has for you, what you find out pretty quickly is that it's often not in line with where the culture is going. Matter of fact, the culture often leads away from Christ. So you find out pretty quick that if you want to live this life that Jesus has for you, sometimes you've got to be willing to go against the grain. Sometimes you need to be willing to go against popular opinion. Sometimes you need to be willing to go against whatever the media says. Sometimes if we're going to live this life, we need to be able to sift through the noise of the culture and get on to the program of our king. That is what's going on. And so all of that being said, for the next several weeks... We're going to be in a new series called Tough Stuff. Sounds inviting, right? (laughs) This is like some of you guys are parents and you had the talk with your kids, right? You know what I mean? You know what I mean by the talk. It's that conversation that, oh, I'm not sure I want to have this, but, and it might be uncomfortable, it might be awkward, it might be like tensions might rise, I don't know, but because I love my kid, I'm going to have this talk with them because it's good for them. It's kind of like this. We're going to be talking about some things in the coming weeks um, that pertain quite closely to the values in our culture, 
some of the things the culture preaches and promotes and cherishes, and we're gonna stack those up against, well, what does God say? What does God think? Uh, Where does this come into play in relation to who God is? And some of it's gonna be fairly controversial. I'll just be honest with you. Like, I just shoot you straight about it. Like, we're gonna be talking about things, you know, these small topics like identity and sexuality. We're gonna talk about like health and wellness and a whole bunch of other things. And, you know, just little things. Um, We're not doing this just to pick a fight. You have to understand. We're not doing this just for the sake of being controversial or trying to be, you know, whatever. The reason we're doing this is because you need to know, you need to know this, these conversations that we're gonna have, they're happening out there. Like, doesn't even, if you turn on your TV, this conversation is happening. You scroll through social media, this conversation is happening. You had better believe it's happening in the schools where our kids go. It's happening all around us, in our places of work, wherever. These conversations are happening. And if the conversations are happening out there, we as God's people, we need to be willing to have them in here as well. So, even though there might be times in this where it's like, ooh, I'm not sure how I felt about hearing that. Ooh, this is controversial. Ooh, I'm not sure I agree. This is good for us. It's good to have these conversations because if we're gonna be the people that God wants us to be, if we're gonna live the life that God wants us to live, we need to know what he says. We need to know where he stands. We need to know his heart and we need to know what's, what's my heart supposed to be. Where am I supposed to stand on these things? If we're gonna be the church that he wants us to be, we need to know how to not just blindly follow along with what the culture is doing. Matter of fact, we wanna not only navigate the culture successfully ourselves, we actually want to engage the culture for Christ. That is why this conversation is so important. Now, you'll be glad to know that today we're not going to talk about anything too controversial. You can just relax, okay? There'll be plenty of that next week and beyond. There's lots to go around, but here's what we need to do this week. If we're going to have this conversation and these conversations, we need to do a little bit of legwork first. I don't know if you know this, like when you just like barge into some of these large conversations without like preparing your heart and like you know, considering what the Lord says and you just, you just wander in and, and, and barge in, they don't always go that well. You know what I'm saying? And so we need to make sure that we're doing a work in our hearts, that we're seeking the Lord in this and for wisdom and for context in this before we just jump in. And so in order to have these conversations, we need to look through a particular lens. And as I'm looking around, there are some of you that wear glasses. Some of you have them on your head. That's cool. Um, How many of you that are glasses or contact lens wearers, if you took your glasses off, you wouldn't be able to see very well at all? Yep, yep. When you aren't looking through those lenses, everything might be blurry or fuzzy or unclear, and you can't really make sense of what's going on around you. You might accidentally bump into something or get tripped up on something because you can't see clearly. But then when you put those lenses on and you look through them, right, it clears everything up. Or at least it should. If it doesn't, go see your doctor, just saying. But it clears everything up and you can make sense of your surroundings. You can, you can negotiate the terrain that you're on. You're less likely to just stumble or trip or run into something unless you're clumsy, but we still love you anyway. Anyway, the same is true what we're gonna do today. We're gonna look through a particular lens 
which is going to help us address some of these large and charged conversations in the coming weeks. And the lens we're going to look through today is the gospel. Somebody say the gospel. Gospel. And, and I'll say this. This is language. What we're going to unpack today, you guys have heard this before. Um, we try to make it our business to like bring this up a lot, like on Sundays even. Like these will be words you hear because it's important. The gospel is very important. Now, if you don't know this, the word gospel means good news. Good news. Not just any good news. There are, believe it or not, some good news items in the world today, just saying. Like the Blue Jays have a chance to make the playoffs. That's good news. Um, I don't know. That's one. Let's just hold on to that. There's at least one piece of good news. The gospel, though, is not just any old good news. The gospel is a specific piece of good news. And the gospel is all about Jesus and who he is and what he has done. And so what I want to do is I want to just break down the gospel to make sure we have an understanding and a refresher on it. Because again, this is the work we need to do on our hearts before we have these big conversations. So as we break down the gospel, the first part is this. There is a God. I want you to participate in this again. So turn to your neighbor and tell them there is a God. There is a God. Matter of fact, there's one true God, and he's the God of the Bible. He is the God who has created the heavens and the earth and all of life and everything that has been made was made by God and for God. You know what that tells me right off the start? Just a, a, a helpful sidebar for you. That means it's not about you. Life is not about you. Like you're important, your life is important, but you are not the center or the purpose of life. That's the Lord. All things were made by him and for him. And we are a part of that, right? He created us. He created us in his image to walk with him, to worship him. Like that's, that's good. That's great. And God also loves us. And I just want you to know that today. Like I don't know, I don't know what sense you have in your life right now of the love of God. I don't know if you're right on that project and you just fully understand it. Yes, God loves me. Or maybe you're in a place where, you know, you've kind of like, started to wonder if he does. Let me just like set the record straight. God loves you today. God loves you deeply, strongly, unconditionally. God loves you. If you remember nothing else from today, which I hope you remember lots else from today, but remember, don't ever forget that God loves you. God loves you. And again, he has a life for us. The problem begins when we remember that we have separated ourselves from God by our sin, right? So we've established who he is and how he has set things up and how he wants life to be for us. Well, we have broken that. We have wrecked that. We have severed that. We have all by nature and by choice sinned against God. We have rebelled against him. We have turned our back on him. We have walked away from him. We have said and done things that are not in line with his character and his nature and his will. We have made ourselves hostile against God. We are actually in and of ourselves, uh, made ourselves enemies of God, right? And that's completely counter to the life that he created us to live. But that is the situation that we're in. And by the way, if you're wondering, oh, does that apply to me? Yes, it does. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The ground is very level on that one. We have all sinned. And it's not just a matter of, oh, well, I sinned. Oh, that's too bad, whatever. No, no, no. 
the wages of sin, the Bible says, is what? Death. Very good. Very good. The wages of sin is death. We're talking physical and spiritual death. We're talking about condemnation, wrath, punishment, being cast out, sentenced into hell to pay for our sins. The wage of sin, like payment must be made for sin. God's wrath and justice must be poured out on sin, the sins that we have committed. And you have to understand this as well. The problem compounds itself. It's not just like, okay, I've sinned and that's bad. Well, now I'll try really hard. I'll work hard enough. I'll do more good than bad. I'll be a good person. Good luck with that. And then I'll earn God's favor. I'll be made right with God through that. No, when you cross that line into sin, that door closes behind you and it's locked and it's shut tight. And that is the situation that all of mankind is in. That is the conveyor belt we are all on. That is the path and the trajectory that all of our lives take. That is not very good news. But the gospel teaches us that God has provided a solution to our sin problem. And I want to just even stop on that because you can blow over that so easily. Why don't you just think about this? This is, I I was just feeling kind of the weight of this one this week. I've sinned against God and the very same God says, I'll provide a solution for that. Like, but Lord, I sinned against you. Yeah, I know. You cut me pretty deep actually, but I'm still gonna make provision for it. I'm still gonna do something about it. And you think like, wow, like why would God do that? We already said why, because he loves you. You guys know John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. Man, that's a love, like when I really start to think about that, like that's a love that's so far beyond what I can even comprehend. Knowing the things I've done against the Lord and he still loves me in spite of myself and he still makes provision for my sin to be dealt with, like that's sometimes beyond what I can even get to in my mind. But for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That son is Jesus Christ. God sends Jesus to the earth. Jesus steps down from glory and he comes to the earth in humility and he lives a perfect sinless life, which is the life that we have surely failed to live. And he goes to a cross and he dies on the cross to make payment for our sin. The wages of sin is death. Jesus, who had no sin, who knew no sin, died the death for us. Since he was without sin, he was an acceptable sacrifice and substitute. He died so that we don't have to. He paid our debt so we don't have to pay it. And this is not just a little debt, like I'll throw that on the credit card. This is a crippling debt. This is a debt that costs us everything. And Jesus paid it so you don't have to pay it. That is love. That is the love of God on display. And you need to understand that no matter what sins you have committed, no matter what things you have done, no matter what things you have failed to do, no matter how wicked or dark or depraved the thoughts in your mind are, Jesus' death on the cross is big enough to cover every single one of those. You say, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. Doesn't matter, because I know what Jesus has done. And it's everything. It's everything. Jesus died to pay for our sins, and that's good news. But it doesn't stop there, because Jesus 
rose from the grave. Jesus, since he was without sin, the grave could not keep him down. Since he had no sin and the wage of sin is death, right? It had no grounds on which to hold him. So he busts up on out of the grave victoriously and triumphantly. Jesus has overcome our enemy. Jesus is greater. Jesus wins. Is that good news to anybody today? Just, okay, got to know where you're at on that. Yes, that's correct. Good. So Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, right, has overcome our sin problem. And he's, he's provided a means by which it can be dealt with for us. So now when we consider what Jesus has done on the cross and through his resurrection, the ball comes into our court, right? Now we have to make a decision. Who do I say that Jesus is? And when we believe that he is the son of the living God, that he came to pay for our sins, that he died and rose to deal with all that. When we put our faith and our trust in him, when we repent and we say, I need to turn away from my sins. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. When we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, we are saved from our sins. Period. Exclamation mark. And when we come to Christ, when we say yes to Jesus, our life takes on a totally new trajectory. We become new creations. The Bible says the old is gone, the new has come. We are, again, we are, we are freed, we are forgiven, we are, we are now brought into relationship with God. We can now walk with God, which is the life that we were created to live in the first place. We can live this life of meaning and purpose and significance and, and mission and everything that God has for us walking with him and we do so also looking forward to the next life you need to know there is more than just this life many people don't live knowing that truth but we have that truth and we know that truth there is more than this life when this life is over for you you will go to one of two places People that have not accepted and said yes to Jesus will be cast out and cut off and condemned and they will pay that debt of sin for themselves. Friends, you know what that just, just right here reminded me of in this moment? We gotta tell people about Jesus. That's so important. People don't know Jesus and they need to know Jesus. But for those of us who do know him, we look forward to a day when Jesus returns, when he comes in glory, when he comes back to judge the living and the dead and on that day we will be found to be with him and we will go to be with him forever in a place where there is no more sin, no more pain, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more stinking COVID, no more death. We will see him even as we are seen. We will know him even as we are known. We will see him face to face and be with him forever and ever and ever. Is that a day that you are looking forward to my friends? Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Now the gospel teaches us all of that. All of that news wrapped up in the gospel. It, the gospel tells us that we can be saved from things, saved from our sins. Every sin that you ever committed and will ever commit can be covered by the blood of Christ. You are saved from your guilt and your shame and your condemnation. It says in Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We can be saved from the wrath of God, from the punishment that we rightfully deserve. We can be saved from a life of hopelessness 
hopelessness and fruitlessness and emptiness and that pursuit of significance in hollow places. The gospel says we can be saved from all of that. The gospel also says we can be saved to things. We can be saved to that relationship with God. We can be saved to a life in the here and now that means something, that it counts for something. We can be saved to a life of fruitlessness, or fruitfulness, I should say, and good works that God has in store for us. And we can be saved to that promise and hope of eternal life. That is the gospel. It is good news. It is good, good news. The gospel is life-changing news. It is legacy-altering news, eternity-shaping news. It is powerful news. It says in Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God at work for salvation. The gospel is also an open invitation for all people, not just some people, for all people. And that invitation is this, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, trust in Jesus, be saved by Jesus. He has a life for you. He has a future for you. He has a purpose for you. You come to Jesus and your life will never be the same again. That is the gospel. And this is the central message of the church. This is so, so, so centrally important to who we are as God's people. Let us never be a people that forget the gospel, that jettison the gospel, that think we've graduated from the gospel. We need it. It's everything. It's so important. This has got to be the heartbeat of our lives as God's people. It's all about who Jesus is and what he has done and what that means. It's everything. It's so important. Now... Back to the task at hand, we're having a conversation about tough stuff. And the gospel that we've just talked about, that is the lens that we need to look through if we're going to properly and beneficially have these tough conversations. And the reason the gospel is so important in this is because simultaneously the gospel is a gospel of grace and truth. Somebody say grace and truth. When you're talking about these topics we're gonna to talk about, it's really unhelpful to come at them without grace and truth. If you only have one or the other, right, that's where you falter. That's where these conversations don't go very well and aren't that helpful. And the gospel provides this context, this news, this message of grace and truth. So when we talk about some of these difficult things, again, you can't do that without holding up grace and championing grace. This grace reminds us that, hey, we have all sinned. We have all fallen. We are all broken and in need of a savior, all of us. Grace reminds us that, hey, even as Christians, none of us are perfect. This grace reminds us that, listen, I'm no better than anybody else. I, like, it doesn't matter what you're doing that might be sinful or stupid or foolish or something I disagree with, whatever. I am no better than anybody else. This grace reminds us that, man, that person I might want to just, like, lay the hammer down on, that's someone that Jesus loves and died for. This grace reminds us that it's, the, it's God's goodness and patience and kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not just me beating somebody over the head with something. It's grace. Grace is so important. And what happens is when we approach some of these conversations, these large charged conversations without grace, we end up with 
legalism. Somebody say legalism. I'm making sure you're participating all the way through this. You're welcome. Legalism. And when there is a spirit of legalism in the church, when there is a, a, a spirit of legalism in our lives and in our conversations with people, what happens then is that our faith becomes all about the rules. It's all about the rules. The rules are the most important thing. Study the rules, learn the rules, make sure you follow the rules. Don't ever get caught breaking a rule. And the sad thing about that is that what we're almost kind of communicating, if that's our heart, if that's our culture, if that's our way, what we're almost communicating there is we're made right with God by our ability to follow the rules. And I don't know about you, if that was the case, like that'd be bad news for me. And that's not what the gospel teaches us at all. You just have to follow the rules better and God will, you know, you'll earn God's favor. That's not the gospel at all. It's not based on anything that you do. It's based on what Jesus has done for you. Now, in a, in a spirit of legalism, what happens is if a person is found to be breaking the rules, oh, that's not gonna go well for them, right? There's like stuff gets thrown down. They're looked at. They're, they're written off, cut off, condemned. This even can happen in churches, right? Like if another Christian does something wrong, like they can just get tossed right out like a used toothpick. See you later, right? Even though we already read there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, right? We get off track on the gospel when that happens. What happens when there's a spirit of legalism in the church is we, we get onto a superiority complex. You know what I'm saying? Like we... I'm trying to get tall on my feet here. <laughs> I'll need a box to stand on or something. Anyway, no, we, we kind of feel really uppity. We feel like we're high and mighty and exalted over everybody else. We get up on our high horse. That is not the heart of the gospel either. What happens when there's a spirit of legalism is that we as Christians become kind of an unloving, miserable group of people to be around when legalism rules the day. And, and not, not only are we unloving and miserable, we're actually usually full of shame and we're inauthentic when there's a spirit of legalism because legalism says, I can be really quick to point out all of your sins, all the things you're doing wrong, but I really hope you don't notice my sins and the things that I'm doing wrong, right? And I feel like I then gotta put on a mask, I gotta hide them, I gotta pretend and I can't deal with those sins in a helpful, healthy, beneficial way. That is not a culture. That is not a, a spirit that we want to embody as a church. We don't want to go hard on the legalism road. Because you know what? We are, we are actually nothing without God's grace. We are nothing without God's grace that renews us and gives us that second and third and fourth, or if you're like me, that 4,000th chance. We need the grace of God. And when there is no grace in our language and in our actions, what we do is we water down the love and the compassion of Christ. And I'm just saying, like, I'm not willing to do that. Like, I don't want that for us. At the same time, you've got your legalism over here. You can't approach these conversations we're gonna talk about without holding up the truth and championing the truth either. You got, like, you need to know there is such thing as truth, objective truth. And that comes from God. God is the giver and the provider and the creator and the sustainer of all of life. He made it all. He knows how it works. He is in authority over it all. He gets to make the rules. He gets to define what truth is. We need to humble ourselves and listen to what he says. 
right? The culture will tell you, you just make your own truth. You just do you. You just live whatever's right for you. That's true for you. You just do that. You know what that is? That's garbage. That's garbage. And when we, when we forget this truth element, what we have is a spirit of liberalism. Somebody say liberalism now. Like on the one hand, you got your legalism, but on the other extreme is the liberalism that just says anything goes, you can do whatever you want. And, and that liberalism tends to forget that, oh, God is holy. God is perfect. God is righteous. God has standards. That liberalism tends to forget that without holiness, Hebrews 12, 14, no one will see the Lord. That liberalism tends to forget that, oh, if I say I love God, I can't just disregard what he says. I can't say I love God and chronically live my life in a way that is inconsistent with his character and his nature and his will. There's no truth in that at all. And what happens is when we start to skimp on the truth, when we start to diminish and downplay or try to alter the truth, we put ourselves offside with God. And we diminish that quality of this life that he has for us. If you want a case study on that, look at the nation of Israel. If you read the Old Testament from the first page to the last, and, and you read about Israel, they would be going along, chugging along pretty good. They were in the will of God. They were right, you know, according to all the laws that he had given them. But every once in a while, they'd start to look around. They'd start to veer off this way. They'd start to say, oh, look what everybody else is doing. That looks fun. That looks palatable. Let's just do that. Let's have that. Let's, let's believe that. And every single time the Israelites got off of God's program, every single time it went bad for them. It went badly for them. There is not one time that they veered out of God's will and it went well for them. Let that be a lesson to us, right, as God's people ourselves. So when we're talking about these, these large issues, these large topics and conversations, we can't approach them with a foam finger. You know what I mean by the foam finger? Like when you go to a sports game and, you know, you, I have a St. John Flames one, I think, somewhere, the big dragon claw, like, ah. And the idea is you wear that to, like, cheer on and celebrate what the team is doing. Well, that's not the attitude we can take on. Some of these issues we're going to talk about, we can't just justify them or cheer them on or celebrate them or say, oh, God's okay with this. Oh, God didn't mean this when he said this. God changed his mind. That was a long time ago. That is not the way to approach these conversations. That's unhelpful. When we come into this, this spirit of liberalism, what happens is people just start to do whatever's right in their own sight, which is never a good idea. And, and when we do that, we're essentially making ourselves out to be our own God. I get to set the rules. I get to say what's right and wrong. I'm gonna do what I please. That's not the heart of the gospel at all. When we come into a spirit of liberalism, you know what happens? The church starts to look just like the culture. Sometimes, and this is, this is unfortunate and regrettable, sometimes there are churches who will say, well, let's just soften our stance on X, Y, Z, whatever it is. Let's just, you know, we'll change that. Oh, God didn't really mean what he said about that. And, and that'll make us more culturally relevant, right? You've heard conversations like that before. And the, the idea and the intention is, oh, if we change, you know, a little, a little slack on the truth right here, you know, our, that'll make us more palatable to the culture and that'll give us more opportunity for our color and our shine to just rub off on the culture. You know what happens though? When we skimp on the truth, 
The color and the shine gets sucked out of the church and the church looks just like the culture. And again, the church is like, we're not better than anybody else, but we said this last week even, we're to be different. We're to be different from the culture, from the world. When there is a spirit of liberalism, oftentimes there is slow growth or perhaps no growth at all in our righteousness and and in our pursuit of Christ and our growing to be more Christ-like and our walking with Christ. Well, that's not the heart of the gospel because we're saved to a life of walking with Jesus and becoming more like Jesus. We are nothing just like we're nothing without the grace of God, we are nothing without God's truth that anchors us and guides us. We need it. When we start to water down the truth and diminish the truth, what we do is we water down the authority of Jesus. And we need to keep in mind always the authority of Jesus and the love and the compassion and the grace of Jesus. Again, this is why the gospel is so, so important because it's simultaneously a message of grace and truth. At the very same time, the gospel says, you are broken. For that's the truth. But God wants to fix you. At the very same time, the gospel says, Come as you are. Like that's a message, an invitation of grace. But God isn't gonna leave you there. God's gonna change you and shape you and make you more like Jesus. The gospel simultaneously says we have all sinned. But we need to repent of it and turn from it and trust in Jesus and move on from it. The gospel says simultaneously this, whatever this is, this is wrong but I haven't got any high horse to sit on or moral high ground to stand on because I've sinned myself. I'm imperfect myself. The gospel says simultaneously, look, let's meet each other where we are and help one another to walk more closely with Jesus. That is the heart of the gospel. So we can't go on either extreme. And by the way, can I just say this too? As a church, like I love you guys. I think you guys do a pretty good job on this, getting this balance right. I don't think we are slipping you know, one side to the other too, too much, but we can't allow the truth to become like a blunt object we're just gonna beat people down with. That's not the way to have these conversations, nor can we allow grace to become an enabler. That's not the way to have these conversations we're going to start winding this up now. And, and I think you can kind of see in this, like there's a balance, right? There's, there's, there's a path to be walked here. There's balance to strive for about this truth and this grace and these, these big conversations we're going to have. And how do, I, how do I walk that path? How do I strike that balance? How do I know I'm not getting to one side or the other? What am I supposed to do to get this right? And the answer is this, we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. There's a great verse, it's John chapter one, verse 14. It says that Jesus came to us full of grace and truth. Jesus came to us full of grace and truth. In other words, he didn't just have one of those and not the other. He didn't have a little bit of one and a lot of the other. He didn't have both equally, just like a little bit, he was full of grace. He was full of truth. He was abundant in both. 
And you can look, when you read of the life of Jesus in the New Testament, you can see his example clearly through that, how he dealt with people, abundant grace for people and abundant truth. He had such deep grace and he also had really difficult things to say, but he never slacked on either one of those. He's full of grace and truth. Let me say this though. Yes, we can look to Jesus as our example, like, you know, that. But Jesus is more than just our example. I don't want us to think of Jesus just as some long ago, ancient, historical figure who's been long dead. He's some museum artifact. No, Jesus is alive and well right now, ruling and reigning. He is enthroned in glory. He is leading and guiding and building his church today as we speak. Do you believe that today? Good. And what happens is as we make it our business to seek the Lord Jesus, as we pursue him and pursue a relationship with him, as we seek him and get with him and sit at his feet and look to him and cling to him and walk with him, you know what happens? We start to become more like him. The same Jesus who 2,000 plus years ago came to us full of grace and truth, he starts to change us to make us more like him. The more we become like him, the more his heart starts to become our heart. Right, the way, like his heart of love, well, that starts to become our heart of love. His heart of grace, like, like we start to get onto that. We start to see that being produced in us. His righteousness, we start to see that growing in us. His heart towards sin, like we start to feel that way about sin. Jesus' heart toward other people, like we start to feel that way about other people. The answer is not just try harder, just study more, just whatever. The answer is get with Jesus and let him change you. That is how we walk this line of the balance of truth and grace. This is what we need if we're gonna navigate some of these conversations we're gonna have in the coming weeks. This balance of truth and grace that we get from walking with Jesus is what we need if we're not just gonna navigate through the culture, like I want you guys to make it through the culture still afloat, you know what I mean? I don't want you to get sucked away by the tide of the culture. We need to get with Jesus if we're gonna do that. And we need to get with Jesus and get onto his program and heart if we're gonna be able to engage the culture for him as well. That is what we need. We need to look to Jesus. We need to, the old hymn just comes to mind, right? We need to turn our eyes upon Jesus. We need to look full in his wonderful face. And when we do that, the things of earth, right? The things of the culture, the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.